Hi, this is Jeff Blackburn, and welcome to the latest episode of Beerless Questions. Today, we are lucky to have Aaron Wilson with us of the Preemptive Love Coalition, um, and we are talking to Aaron live right now in Baghdad. Is that correct? No, I'm actually oh. <laughs> um, in northern Iraq in a city called Suleimania, um, in in the Kurdish part of Iraq. Okay. Well, just let's start. I mean, if you if you wouldn't mind, Aaron, just by um, first of all, thank you for being here with me. It's I really appreciate your time, and I know we were having some issues getting even just the internet connection to <laughs> to come through. So if, if we cut out, we'll just keep recording in pieces, and it'll be great. Okay. Um, but uh, would you be willing to just tell us a little bit? A lot of folks are, I don't know that are familiar with preemptive love, and um, just sort of tell us what your role is with that kind of just what's what you're doing over there in Iraq right now. Sure. Well, Preemptive Love Coalition um, started out of one child's need. Um, one of our founders, Jeremy Courtney, was um, in a hotel working uh, in the lobby where there was um, consistent electricity because um, when they first moved here, almost 10 years ago, um, the electricity was really unstable. So it was very common for expats to work in, in hotel lobbies. So while he was there, he was approached by someone who had a, a young relative with, um, with a really serious heart defect. And, and this local fellow wondered if, if Jeremy could help her get surgery. And he said he would look into it, not having any idea what, where it would lead. But um, eventually he discovered the problem um, of children with congenital heart defects in Iraq is massive. It's a massive problem. There are thousands of children um, waiting for heart surgeries to save their lives. Mm. And that started him down the path of um, responding to a need that was directly in front of him. Um, When you are in Iraq for a while, um, particularly 10 years ago, I mean, the needs are <laughs> the needs are everywhere. Um, sure. But this was a need, kind of wrapped up in the body of a child who was right, right in front of him. And so that's where he and his wife Jessica responded and continued to respond. So Preemptive Love Coalition grew out of that, providing heart surgeries for Iraqi children. And um, after initially taking the children outside the country. Um, to get their surgeries because there there were no surgical teams in the country um, that can do complicated um, repairs to hearts okay. uh, for children. Um, then they realized that that really wasn't helping Iraq very much. It was helping these individual kids, but not not the country itself. Um, and so they started working with medical teams to bring in. Um, specialized doctors and and nurses to come here and to teach uh, the local doctors and nurses how to um, make these very complicated repairs on on pediatric heart patients. And mm-hmm. so um, that's how it started with um, loving individual kids and loving the country by trying to build in sustainability. Um, and that went along for a number of years. And then in 2014, um, all of a sudden everything changed and this group called ISIS, um, 
Mm. Oh, I, I had no idea I was going to get emotional thinking about this. It's okay. This, but, no, please. Um, you know, ice has happened, mm. and um, everything changed for everybody living here. Mm. Now, we live in a place that um, that is very safe, but um, all of a sudden our city became full of people um, who were running for their lives. So we heard all these stories from families who um, – who had experienced unbelievable loss to their um, spouses, children, parents, uh, siblings, and were now here and trying to just figure out what to do next, how to start over. And in Iraq, there are several different language groups. There are several different cultures and um, religious faiths. And so for these families, sometimes moving um, six or eight hours away from their hometown meant they were living with people who had a completely different culture, completely different language. Everything was different. And mm. so they were um, they were experiencing the same um, kind of life shift that refugees experience, but they were still within the borders of their own their own country. But the trauma was mm was really the same so um yeah so <laughs> now wait when <laughs> then you... there was a chance to respond to okay. these people okay yeah now when you showed up so when you first came to join um preemptive love did you come under when at the time it was more about um helping with surgeries and with the children and then did that change for you did your role and your kind of what you were up to there start to change in 2014 as well I actually was here um, before that. Um, I came. This is. <laughs> I came for a completely different purpose. Um, I came to join um, a friend. I actually met through Twitter. We had a project um, here for a few years called the One Shot Project. We were both photographers, and we um, did photography workshops for kids on the margins here. So we taught photography to um, a bunch of boys that live at the local orphanage, to some boys that sold plastic bags in the bazaar, um, to some kids at a local um, Syrian refugee camp. Um, so I was here doing that. Um, for a couple summers and it was actually I think my first summer here was when I actually fell in love with the place and by my second summer I knew I had to move here okay. um, the people here are just so wonderful that I just decided I wanted to do I wanted to do life here and um, in the meantime I, I I so I'm from Canada I left my life in Canada and and moved here in the meantime my uh, my partner in this photography project, who is Chilean, um, decided with his family that they were going to return to Chile. So, um, so I was here in in Kurdistan, doing what I could as an as an individual, um, and met up with uh, the Preemptive Love Crew, who were doing what they were doing um, as an organization, and it just uh, it just worked. They invited me to work with them and. And I joined them. Hmm. So what is, you, what is, you said in 2014, obviously things started to change. Mm -hmm. um, I assume that means that's when ISIS started to affect 
I, I mean, I think that was going on probably before, but it started to affect you guys. Yeah. And then how did that change what your role is now? I know you, you know, what did you come in as and what have you kind of been seeing while you've been there? Well, I'm a communications officer for um, Preemptive Love, which is kind of a fancy uh, title for writer-photographer. Um, okay. So I, I get to spend time with people that we serve and um, document what's going on. And so I've spent time um, in Libya uh, in the operating room of a hospital in the ICU with uh, children who who get their life-saving heart surgeries with the the doctors and the nurses who are teaching and the locals who are learning and the parents who are totally over the moon that they get to take Mm. healthy kids home with them. Yeah. It really doesn't get any better than that. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Um, I get to sit in tents and containers with, um, with Yazidi families here who have started life over and, um, some of the families I know best, we've helped uh, start small businesses. So not only um, are they safe, but they're on their way to um, really having an income that that sustains their family, which is is pretty amazing for um, for people who really had to start from absolute scratch not very long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're making. Um, if you look at our website and, and find Sisterhood Soap or Kinsman Soap, um, those are being made by uh, by displaced men and women who uh, are absolutely amazing, <laughs> amazing at what they do. Mm. Um, and that can all be making... found at preemptivelovecoalition.org? <clears throat> oh, this is terrible for a communication officer, but That's I actually okay. have to. <laughs> that's okay no 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 we can we, we can put it in uh we can put it in the show it's just, notes later it's it's just preemptivelove.org okay preemptivelove.org yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's i mean honestly i have i have the best the best job hmm. um i see a lot of tragedy mm-hmm. as well i mean it's not all it's not all easy, but um, I get to see the impact firsthand of what happens when um, when people around the world say we can't be there, but we want to help. When you know they get in touch with us, and we're able to we're able to put their donations like directly in the hands of of people who need it. Mm. It's like honestly, it's. It just is exactly the way I think the world was intended to work, that mm. we just help each other. And it's amazing. Mm. What are the ways, um, I mean, since you brought that up, what are the ways that you normally see people donate? Are there specific things that, I know you're talking about surgeries, but you're also talking about trying to create um, sustainable help to families. You know, What are the biggest <laughs> area of needs right now that you see? Well, right now, I mean, there are three there are three main um, avenues that we have for for making change here, positive change. One, what we started with was is the heart surgeries. Um, the next is emergency relief aid. Um, after the liberation of, of Fallujah, 
um, there's been, we're coming up to the, hopefully the liberation of, of Mosul, the city of Mosul in the north. Um, that's ISIS's last um, large stronghold here in Iraq. Um, the Iraq army and the militias have been kind of inching their way up um, the Mosul corridor, freeing villages and towns, getting closer and closer to, to Mosul. But um, when they get there, there are there are more than a million people that are going to be um, homeless in a very short amount of time. And so um, we've been making preparations for uh, helping as many people as we can when they leave. Um, so there's, there's the emergency uh, relief aid and then empowerment projects. So essentially that's small business grants. So we work with... Um, we work with displaced families so that they can get back to work and they can support their own families as quickly as possible. Um, and so, yeah, it's kind of a, a three-pronged approach. The heart surgeries allow us to actually affect the, the health infrastructure here. The relief aid allows us to help families buy time until they can be stable. And then the empowerment projects help us um, – help us to help families make, make real long-term lasting change. Hmm. Now is the, um, when it comes to your guys' ability to help, um, is that helped or, or slowed down by government or is the government, local government and the infrastructure, uh, even in a place to, I mean, when you talk about a million people potentially, you know, kind of coming into a city, that's a pretty big impact. I would think, I mean, wonder how that, well, and there are already millions of, of refugees and displaced families here in a country that's facing, um, well, they've been in the middle of a financial crisis for a few years. Like they just, they do not have the financial resources or the infrastructure to deal with this chaos. They absolutely don't have it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I mean, a lot of the large NGOs, they're here. They have a big presence. Um, you'll see, if you look online, you'll see pictures, lots of pictures of UN tents and, um, all the big guys are here. Um, we work outside the camps. We work, we tend to always, um, do our work on the margins where, where the big agencies aren't working, where people otherwise would be forgotten or left behind. Um, If you're not, if you're not in the camps, you get, you just don't get assistance because there isn't any to be had. Mm. Um, are there yeah, are there are there re big reasons that keep people out of the camps? I mean, from a from the distance, we don't really understand obviously the nature of what a refugee camp experience is like. Why people go? Why people choose not to? Or why they can't go? Um, you know, when you talk about those marginalized. Um, what is that? What's a picture of those folks kind of look like? Well, there's a really wide range, actually. Um, around uh, around Fallujah, there were so many people that came out of Fallujah so quickly that there just wasn't time to put up um, enough official camps to house everybody. Okay. So there were a lot of um, hastily built camps that, where people were able to go, but there weren't the resources to... Um, to help the people. And I mean, they had tents to stay in, but that was all. 
and they're in the middle of nowhere with no access to food or water or toilets or anything like that. So mm. that, that is where we were able to step in and provide those very, very basic needs. Um, in other situations, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, not all camps are great places to be. Okay. Um, sometimes there are religious differences. So you might have um, a large um, population of one religious group and a small population of another. And it just might not feel comfortable for the minority group there. Sure. Um, in some camps, you have situations where it's just not safe uh, for women there, mm. particularly at night. Um, it's yeah, you have a whole variety of, of situations. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. And then, um, you know, when we first, I first heard of you, um, in following along with the, with the preemptive love uh, website, and I had seen an article, uh, posted, um, about a 15 year old boy named Hussein mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that you had written or that I ended up writing an article based off of your work, um, that I followed up with you on where Hussein was, at least here in the West, it was like, Hey, we've stopped this would be ISIS child bomber. And then, you know, you really right. helped us understand that the story is much more complicated than that. And the, the courage of a 15 year old boy that, that is raised in, in, um, a tough, uh, situation and is trying to make hard choices and how do you make the right choice? And, um, are you able to kind of, I don't know if you remember all the details of the story. I know it's been a number of weeks now, but do you, have you heard anything else or some of our listeners may not have heard even heard the story. So if you can even just kind of give us a quick overview. No, we, we haven't um, heard any further from him. And the likelihood is that we, we won't. Um, Hussein was um, taken into custody. I mean, of course he was taken into custody by um, the local uh, I don't even know how to say it, local law enforcement, but it was pretty much every branch of every department that, um, that was interested in, in Hussein. He, um, he was a displaced kid himself. His family had been dis displaced. Um, there are, I mean, this is a very complicated story, nuanced story as are most of the stories here. Um, and I think that's what people have a hard time with. They have latched onto the label ISIS, um, are content to um, accept that that is just a, a catchment for evil people hmm. and to leave it at that. Um, the only way to end things is for all ISIS members to be exterminated. Some, I mean, I hear it in the media sometimes, have suggested that all their families should be exterminated. Hmm. Um that is um, one way to approach the situation, but it's not a way that is going to um, actually bring an end to what's happening. Most of the people who join ISIS have a story behind why they joined. Um, most of them did not join because they are religious zealots. Most of them did not join um, because they wanted um, to kill people. Mm -hmm. For many, it's led to that, but that's not, that's not why they joined. And so in Hussein's case, um, as a boy, uh, 
his father put um, him into an ISIS training camp. And so he was trained all day, every day, um, how to kill, how to hate. And so at this point, when he was captured, uh, he had a um, suicide vest strapped to him. He was sent uh, to a particular part of the city to blow himself up and, and take out a neighborhood with him. And mm. Um, mm. despite it all, despite the training, mm. despite the insistence of his father, despite um, everything in his environment, he chose not to do it. And he could have, that same, that same time, there were a couple other boys who were also... Um, wearing vests. They ran away. His brother earlier in the day had actually succeeded in blowing himself up. Mm. Um, he could have gone ahead with a plan. He could have run away. Um, but he didn't do that. He didn't do either of those things. He allowed himself to be taken into custody. He, um, he did not wrestle against the law enforcement as they were cutting the vest off him. Mm. Um, and he knew what was ahead for him. Make no mistake, when you are arrested here, mm -hmm. it is not a pleasant experience. Um, I think he had a very good sense of, of what might be in his near future. And he still made that very hard decision. And I don't think he's entirely atypical. You know, there's a lot of folks that um, get caught up into groups like ISIS and don't really find out what the truth is until they're inside. Sometimes it's too late. They can't get out. And, and you know, sometimes people do. We, we hear stories also of people managing to get out and, and go back to Europe or to the United States. Um, it's harder to go back to families here. That's not really an option because they would be found and, and killed. But, um, hmm. yeah, it just to me it makes Hussein's decision all the more remarkable hmm. um, that – that somebody who's still very much a child uh, would have the courage to, to make that kind of a choice. Wow. Well, I thank you for, for sharing that. And, and for those who want to read more about that and other stories like, you know, of those kinds of desperate situations, they can go to your website and, and read those and follow you guys. Um, we tell I, lots of good news stories too. <laughs> it's not, it's not all hard stories. It's not all, it's not all uh, super emotional stories. Uh, we get to tell all kinds of different stories. Mm. Well, I do think you touched on it. You know, there is there is a. Um, it's not as black and white as it seems. Like uh, I know many of us would like for it to be, and um, so we we do. Yeah, and I really appreciate you trying to help help uh, give some different insights into to what's going on in those situations. Um, what do you think when you, um, when you think, whether it be Hussein, some of the good situations, but so much of the, um, it sounds like there's some really, really hard things, obviously. What do you, what motivates you guys? What do you see as the remedy? Um, not that there's a perfect fix, but what are some of the remedies that, that motivate you guys and that you, you feel like you're trying to bring to the table? Choosing, choosing to love. I mean, we, we are kind of our catchphrase is love anyway. And um, 
that's really what it what it comes down to. Mm. Um, that if people are are um, if people are despised, we don't have an option not to love them. Mm. Um, we are called to love, period. And so uh, that is that is what we try to do. Now we can't love everyone. Um, we don't have the the capacity for that. No one has the capacity for that. Um, and so it just like it started with the Courtney's in in loving that first kid who was in front of them. Um, we continue to love who is in front of us. We continue to love people who are in the greatest need who other people are not helping mm. um, because we, we just have no need to go where everyone else is working. Um, sure. Other people are taking care of that. We are, we are content um, to work in the gap, in the gap areas. Mm. Um, and sometimes, sometimes it's, it's just as simple as, as standing with people. Um, my coworker, Matt Willingham and I were in Sinjar uh, last year, or maybe it was earlier this year. <laughs> it feels like a long time ago, but uh, we were up on the mountain with some Yazidi friends of ours, and and we had a number of things that they were showing us that day. Um, we went to Sinjar City and saw it in complete ruin. Mm. I've seen pictures of of um, of London after the bombings. Um, of World War II, but really, this was the first time that I experienced what that was like to walk, to walk down um, streets where every building on both sides was were completely destroyed, mm. um, and just the remnants of people's lives were, you know, on the sides of the road. You would see a piece of a dish or a doll. Um, I remember passing one house. The front of the house was was blown off, but I could still see somebody's. Um, Oh, somebody's pink house coat hanging on a hook mm. on the on the wall inside, you know. Wow. Um, you could just perfectly imagine them living their lives there until the bombs fell. Um, so we were going and visiting uh, families on the mountain. We were delivering chickens to um, to a whole bunch of families that lived all across the mountain, egg egg laying chickens, so that they would have some some easy protein um, to eat. And, and making some other visits in between our uh, chicken deliveries. Mm-hmm. And at one point we were on this green field and um, I had somehow missed um, the part of the conversation where they, where they were telling us where we were going next. I was just <laughs> following along <laughs> to the next place and all of a sudden I looked down and then I, then I knew where we were, where we were. We were we were oh, we were standing at a mass grave, and uh, these were from Yazidi families who, um, when ISIS came in, they would take truckfuls of of people out to the edge of town and um, and kill them there. Mm. And there's lots of um, stories of what happened because there were there were witnesses. There were a few folks who actually survived and and escaped, and um, and for Yazidis, um, things have been very difficult. They're um, a minority here that hasn't seen a lot of support. 
And honestly, for the guys who took us to this mass grave, mm -hmm. it was it was a big deal for them just that we just that we were there to bear witness with them that this was a thing that this really happened that mm -hmm. their family members are still missing that no one knows if they're you know if their family members are are buried in a mass grave or if they managed you know they're hoping that they managed to escape somewhere if they're still captured by ISIS you know they just they don't know and so for somebody from the outside to stand with them it was a really big deal. Yeah, there really is something powerful about somebody listening to your story and just saying, I see you, like, I see you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think people really underestimate um, the effect that can have in someone's life. Um, I, I, I have to ask, I mean, I know, you, I know you have a lot of good stories. We need to talk about some I, happier things. I know, some happier things. <laughs> I, and I'm I do, a big <laughs> No, no, it's not at all. I think that there – and we, we will – before we finish, we will, but I do want to – just bring attention to one thing is like, I'm, I'm really struck by the fact that you're talking about the people that you see and that you're walking with and that you're, you're serving and helping. Um, but I also felt like I heard you say that there's real, is it fair to say that there's real evil that you guys are facing as well that you, that you have faced? Is that, you don't have to expand on it too much, but I'm wondering if you have that sensation or if it doesn't come off that way or. Well, it is it is impossible to spend time with um, with Yazidi women who were who were captured and used as sex slaves and not not say that you have um, seen the effects of absolute evil. Absolutely, um, what those women have experienced, and some there are still three thousand more than three thousand women that are still missing. Hmm. Yeah, so they. Um, they, they are experiencing what can only be described as, as evil. And, and I often struggle to understand the capacity of any human being to inflict that kind of suffering on another human being. Mm. And then at the same time, you look at these people, these, these people who are currently members of ISIS, and they have loving relationships. They have deep friendships. They have children they adore. They have um, spouses and parents. And it all becomes a little bit complicated um, mm. that people who have the capacity um, to inflict great pain also have the capacity um, for great love. And it kind of reminds you that the same is true for all of us mm. that it's it's not easy to um to maintain this kind of facade that uh we are above and beyond them because it kind of brings it to a really real place mm. yeah it makes a lot of people uncomfortable the idea of saying we're not so different um mm -hmm. But do you feel like, I mean, you feel like there's hope though. I mean, you're there, obviously you're there, you know, you, you say we love anyway and, and tell Absolutely. me, yeah. And like, tell me, I mean, there's got, there's good stories too. He said like, when you, when, when you say, you know, we love anyway, what are the, what are some of those moments you've experienced where you've, you've gotten to see love break through the darkness? 
really, I mean, sometimes it, sometimes they are small moments, but they are radiant. Um, I'm thinking right now about somebody that we work with called uh, Faris. He is uh, he is one of the soap makers that we have we have helped start a business and. Um, Faris has a, I'm not quite sure what kind of a chronic illness, but, um, it left him unable, unable to work his, in his family, they are all, um, house builders by trade and here houses are all built out of, um, concrete block and, and parging. So it's, it's heavy work. And so, um, not only were he and his family displaced, um, but he really was not able to. Uh, find a job, although I have to say jobs became incredibly hard to come by because the economy is um, terrible and there were so many displaced families that came all at the same time. There just were not even jobs to be found. Mm. And so here Forrest had um, this family to take care of. And when we offered him the opportunity um, to start a business, something absolutely came alive in him and he <laughs> like his whole little community has been transformed he is an absolutely successful soap maker he <laughs> is taking care of his family he's sharing with his community um he has bought a vehicle for his family so that they can get around easier um right away he began investing um his profits into other um, little agricultural ventures that um, would help him teach um, his children how to work hard and how to provide. So they have beehives. They're raising, they're raising chickens. Um, so they get, you know, the eggs. But they also his boys get the get the chance to learn um, how to work and how to look after creatures and how to be part of a family. And um, so beautiful. It's kind of amazing. It is. It is so beautiful. Yeah. It is I mean, so beautiful. I'm terrified of the bees, but it's still beautiful to hear about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never, I've never seen him with a sting. So somehow he he manages okay. Oh uh, boy. I, I mean, it's. It, I mean, I guess the the beautiful thing is with with Faris is that we know he's just at the beginning of things. Yeah. He thought. Even before he was displaced, he thought his life, you know, was kind of ending because he wasn't he wasn't able to work. And now he's in a position where he knows his life is is just beginning. And that's mm. man, that's just amazing. It's amazing. So good. Yeah. Well, Aaron, let me let me just ask you this. Um, what do you what do you wish if you could talk to people back in the West? I mean, you're obviously you're view of the world has probably shifted some. Um, sometimes it's a little more gray than it used to be, maybe, I'm guessing. What are the, what types of things or what types of questions do you wish people back in the West were asking or things that you wish they understood a little bit better about what's going on over in the Middle East? <clears throat> wow. One is that they absolutely can do something. Um, I think a lot of folks see the news and feel helpless and kind of tune out um, when the, the reality is they can do a lot. Um, they can stay engaged with what's happening as much as they're able to. 
um, they can. Um, I mean, certainly giving is important. Uh, without financial giving, it's it's impossible to to provide really tangible help for people here. Food and shelter and um, water, it all takes money. Um, people who are engaged are able to um, talk to their uh, political representatives, you know, to give a voice over what happens. There are many decisions that happen about, I, I mean, decisions that are made in in Washington that, that absolutely impact the lives of many people here. Mm. Um, and I doubt, I doubt very many politicians hear from their constituents about it. Mm. Um, when people, I mean, everyone in the United States has access to someone that they can, they can express their views to. Mm. Um, and the other thing is that we just have no idea how small the world has become and how, how people everywhere interact with their neighbors affects everywhere. And so everyone in the United States, everyone in Canada where I'm from, how you, um, how you treat your neighbors there, how you treat um, the Muslims in your community, how you treat the refugees, the immigrants, um, the marginalized, hmm. that has an impact all the way over here. And every person has the ability to care for someone else in their life right where they are without leaving. Hmm. Um, and that has an impact that ripples out. Really, it ripples out across the world. That sound, probably sounds totally cliche, but it's absolutely true. I mean, in any, any viral video that gets the warm fuzzies all going on Facebook, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. Think about any one of those things. That was a small action that happened usually between two people and then travels the world because everyone wants a piece of that, um, of that hope and that kind of spark of love that happened there. Mm -hmm. And we all forget that we all have the ability to be part of that ourselves all day long, every day in our own lives. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be broadcast on TV or made into a viral video, but the warm fuzzy, I mean, that can be ours all the time. And even when it's not the warm fuzzy, even when it's just the hard work, even when it's just the hard work <laughs> of loving your neighbor um, because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So more warm fuzzies, is that what I hear you saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, more, I think more engagement in, in your own community. Yeah. We forget we forget how much influence we have. Yeah. Um, every one of us has so much more influence than than we realize or are willing to realize. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I just that's so great. I mean, some of these things you're saying, I'm just shaking my head in awe. Like, ugh, to to embrace some of these truths would is uh, it really would change the world? I think. Um, well, Aaron, look, I'm so, so grateful for you uh, spending the time to, to talk with me and and share a little bit about what's going on in your life and what's going on there in Iraq and and then with the Preemptive Love Coalition and how some of us can can consider being a part of what you guys are doing. Um, just, I mean, we just appreciate 
appreciate your time, but we appreciate you and what you guys are doing so much. I'm just really grateful uh, for you spending the time to have a talk here today. Well, I appreciate the chance to talk to you, Jeff. When are you, when are you coming over for a visit? As I told Aaron as we were hanging up, you just never know when you'll feel the leading to go. You guys, such a cool time talking to Aaron. But in the meantime, do yourself a favor and go follow the Preemptive Love Coalition on all the social medias. Um, Their website is preemptivelove.org. You know, just in the last few days, um, they are in the middle of loving on the people that are in the midst of uh, such tragedy and struggle still going on in Aleppo, Syria. And they are loving these people in just heroic ways. It's just, it's honestly just amazing. And so I, I really would encourage you to support them in any way you can. Um, like Aaron mentioned, every little small thing that you do can really make a big difference. So check that stuff out. You guys, I think that's about it for this week. Blessings, my friends, and have a wonderful freedom-filled day. <laughs>